Father, I thank you for the goodness and grace that you've shown us through your Son. And I thank you that we can come together this morning and we can celebrate we can celebrate the birth of our Savior. I ask, Father God, that you would, would be with us this morning in a unique way, that we would sense your presence. And I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would stir our hearts to rejoice and to, to sing and, and to fellowship and, and to rejoice and to glorify you. Father, I thank you that we come with a variety of hurts and pains. Life goes on. And we have the assurance that you have given us hope and you've given us strength through the sacrifice of your son. Thank you, Father God, for the time that we have in fellowship today. In Christ's name, amen. Christmas is a special time. This was, for my dad... This was the epitome of his life, nearly. The only thing that came bigger to Christmas singing was barbershop harmony. And sometimes he snuck barbershop harmony into Christmas time. And that's, I was thinking about it this morning. I was putting the tie on, and I was thinking about, I was thinking about Dad. And, um, Singing the songs, it's a little bit hard sometimes because I miss him. Um, he, he loved this time. And one of the aspects of Christmas for us, there were five, I have, I have four brothers and sisters. I'm the perfect one because I'm right in the middle. <laughs> and as we would go through Advent season, Dad would assign who's doing what. And so it changed every year. And it was required that on every single night of Advent, which also included Christmas Eve, that the story of Christ's birth was read from Scripture. He didn't care if it was the same passage from Luke. It, it didn't matter. It had to be read every, every night, every Sunday night in Advent. And then somebody, one of the, the five of us kids, had to do a little devotional thing. And, and he took us through this whole process because this was so important to him. And that, that became a part of, of who we are as kids. This is vitally important stuff. It's also something that we should just be overflowing with joy and excitement even when the world does all of the crazy things that it has done this year, this is the best stuff there is, except for Easter. So this is the, this is the, the story that, even though I've heard it over and over and over, I never tire of this story. And I really like this from Luke. So let's hear these familiar words this morning. Luke 2. Now it came about in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This, this was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. <clears throat> and all were proceeding to register for the census, everyone to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. And because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. 
And it came about that while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. And she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men whom he is pleased. And it came about when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds began saying to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem then. And see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came in haste and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. And when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. That just amazes me. There is so much there. And it always amazes me. The, the shepherds, I guess, I, I kind of connect with them in a certain way. They, the angel shows up. The angel. One of, one of the angels, you know, angel of God. The, the big guy himself. And then not only that, this, this host of angels. Such a massive celebration. And that massive celebration is in, in such a, a, an obscure location. And the celebration is announced by, by angels. This is a colossal, heavenly celebration. The angels knew what was happening. They knew what was going on. They could not contain their praise and their, their wanting to celebrate. The shepherds responded to the heavenly celebration. First, they were going, man, you know, in fear. I mean, if, if angels showed up for any of us, you know I, know, I know where I'd go, you know, poof, right to the floor. And if you do that around angels, they'd go, no, no, don't do that, because I'm an angel. Don't do that. Save that for worshiping God. And then the angels respond, because the angels say, don't be afraid. And if an angel tells you not be afraid, I guess it's okay to not be afraid. Because then they go, okay, we've got to go do something about this. And they, they're, they're going to go see the object of the party. They're going to go see what the object of the celebration is all about. Let's go see the child. And I like to think of this like the shepherds are saying, let's go look. Let's go look at the gift. Let's go look at what's been given, what was announced by the angel, because that angel has, has announced a gift. There's, there's something that's been given to the human race. The same thing that you could look at if you were a good Jew, you'd go, this is, this is what God has been promising for centuries. 
that we've been looking for. God had revealed to his prophets and the leaders that there would be a supernatural gift, a savior who would save humanity from eternal pain, suffering, and condemnation. Through all human history, people have looked for a way back to God, back into his presence, a way to be right with God. The shepherds catch a hold of this celebration and, and they come to see that gift. Not, not a gift all wrapped in shiny paper. I used to get kind of crazy about my mother because be careful how you unwrap stuff because she wanted to save the paper. <laughs> Come on, Grandma. She's probably got paper hidden somewhere at the house. My kids are here, so I'm kind of... That's the way we think of gifts. But this gift was not wrapped in fancy paper. Instead, it's, it's wrapped in cloth. I always imagine it is probably not the cleanest kind of cloth around. And the gift is, is a tiny baby. But this was the gift that had been looked for throughout all the ages. This was the gift. This was the gift that symbolized throughout a numerous historical events that God was active and he had a plan. Here's some ideas. This gift symbolized was symbolized so many times. For example, this is the gift symbolized by the faith that was offered by Abel. Here, here in the stable on this night is the gift symbolized by the ark that Noah built, which saved the human race from total destruction. Do, do you get it? Noah built that ark. If he hadn't built the ark, if, if he just went, just take me home, and that was the end of it, we wouldn't be here. This, this was the gift, this little baby, this gift symbolized, was symbolized by the ram that was, was caught in a thicket when, when Abraham offered Isaac. Abraham was ready to slay his son, and God said, no, I've got a different, different plan for you, and, and there was a ram. This was the gift symbolized by Joseph in Egypt, saving God's people from famine. This is the gift that, that drove the faith of Moses, who saw serving God greater than the passing riches and pleasures of sin. This is the gift symbolized by the lamb whose blood was smeared on the doorpost and the lintels, saving all of those who were, who were obedient. It's that gift. This is the gift that symbolized was symbolized by the faith of Moses and the Israelites when they're standing at the edge of, edge of the Red Sea and, and Pharaoh's coming behind them and God parts the water and they walk through on dry ground. That faith, that faith to believe that God would deliver them, that's the same gift. This is the gift that motiv motivated Joshua to march around Jericho seven times, blow the horns and watch the, the walls fall flat to the ground. This is the gift that Elijah prayed to for the fire from heaven to fall and consume the false prophets of Baal. That's the same gift. Same thing. This is the gift that, that motivated Daniel. Even though there was a threat of death, he, he prayed three times a day. Why? Because he was looking for this same gift. 
This is the gift that shut the lion's mouth when Daniel was thrown into the den. This is also the gift that was looked for by Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they were thrown in the fire. And by the way, that same gift was in the fire with them. I believe that's a Christophany. There was four in the fire. Who's the fourth one? Jesus. The gift of Christmas. This is also the gift that Isaiah prophesied 700 years before Christ was born. In, in one place, Isaiah seven fourteen, he says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel. God with us. He's here with us. He isn't distant. That's the gift. This is also the gift that the prophet Micah saw. He, he prophesied that, that this event in Bethlehem would occur. Micah 5, 2. But as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrath, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you, one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. The same gift. This is the same gift that has been sought after and loved by millions and millions of people from nearly every nation on earth since this event happened and before. Here, here in this tiny infant, the shepherds come and they find this, this, this baby. It was the gift of grace looked for by every hero of the faith. The hero of the faith, Hebrews 11, that whole list of people that did all these incredible things for God. You go through the scriptures and you see all these heroes of faith. We have some even in our days and in our ages that are heroes of the faith. That's, that's who those heroes looked for. Every man, woman, or child who sought to be right with God has looked for this same gift. And here, here's the gift. That's why we celebrate. That's why we celebrate Christmas. And, and we will continue to celebrate this gift until that same gift returns to take us to our eternal home. I'm not ever going to quit celebrating the birth of Christ until I'm with him in heaven. Here in the manger, wrapped in cloth, being cared for by, by loving parents is the gift connecting Christmas, the first coming of the Savior. It's connecting that first coming to the second coming of the Savior. There's a connection. You cannot separate Christmas from Easter. You cannot separate Christmas from the second coming of Jesus Christ. You cannot do that. It's not, it's not that we have this one holiday and we celebrate Christmas and it's all encompassed in that one thing. And then we have, we have this, this Easter thing and, and it's all enclosed in that. And then we're looking forward in the future to this, this time when Jesus is going to come back. We, don't, we tend to think of those as three separate events. Stop that. This is the same thing. This is the gift that God gave. Here's the way I think of this. Jesus would not be able to. He will not be able to come back 
if he hadn't have gone to heaven. If we talk about him coming back, then that implies that he was here. So, so if he didn't go there, he can't come back. And, and to do that, he had to, so he had to leave this place. And he couldn't leave this place without rising from the dead. And he couldn't rise from the dead without being buried. And he couldn't be buried without being dead. And he couldn't have died without the crucifixion. And he couldn't have been crucified without a trial. And he couldn't have had a trial unless he was accused. And he couldn't have been accused without being human and being alive. And he couldn't be human without being born. And he couldn't have been born without the incomparable, the incomprehensible power of the Holy Spirit impregnating a virgin. How does that work? Had to happen. Had to happen. Or Jesus couldn't have lived, couldn't have died, couldn't have risen from the dead, couldn't have gone to the cross, couldn't have been buried, couldn't have risen, and couldn't have gone to heaven so that we could expect him to come back. This gift could never cease to be God. So in the middle of all this human kind of thing, we have deity. This gift came joining deity to humanity. Jesus came to solve the most important problem facing every man, woman, and child. And that's our relationship to God himself. He came to solve that problem. This is the gift of Christmas. This this gift is, is the hope of Christmas. Hope. This is the hope that's been preached by by Christianity. And I've told many times of of the trips I've taken to India. India is where I've seen it just firsthand. So real and so amazing. We go out into these rural agricultural villages. And these people are just pitiful. They don't have water. Sometimes they hardly have anything to eat. I met one woman who had had one outfit of clothing her entire adult life, and she's who knows how old. We gave her a sari, and she melted. No one had ever given her anything. And by the way, she was also a woman who came. She's a believer. She came into the meeting, and she's got her hands like this, and she walks up to the altar just like this. Just, she, she, she's just hunched over. She's thin as can be, old. And she's got her hands like this. And we notice that her hands are full of rice. And there on the altar is the offering plate. And she takes that handful of rice and she very carefully puts the rice into the offering plate. And we're all going, okay, so what's with that? And Sam, my buddy, goes, that's all she has. She gave that as her offering to Christ. And we all just kind of went, okay, can we just die and go home now? Because we're not worthy. What does that? So we'd go into these places and they're, they're oppressed by Hinduism. They don't have any hope at all. None. Their existence is terrible. And we'd come in and we'd go, Jesus died for you. And Jesus rose from the dead. And Jesus is alive today. And he made it possible for you to have perfect fellowship with God. And they would 
they would suddenly, you could see it in their entire being, they would glimpse this, this idea of hope. Hope in Christ. Hope that there's something for them. Some, something that gives them some sense that they have value. And they would leave Hinduism just like that and convert to Christianity. And man, when they came to Christ, they really came to Christ. They are, they, they get a Bible, they start reading, they start praying for each other, they do all kinds of amazing things. And it's based on this idea of hope. Preaching to them was easy. You can have hope in Jesus, hope for a future, hope to be with God. And they go, I want it. Jesus came to solve the biggest problem. And in that is hope. Now, I want to take a minute to talk about this hope thing. Because this kind of hope is not the normal hope that we usually think of. We usually use the term hope in three ways. The desire for some future good. We will say, this is what I was doing yesterday. I hope for good weather tomorrow so my kids will be safe traveling. It was. They're here. Okay. So we're thinking hope for something future. Two, we we also use hope to describe what we're hoping for. We will say, I hope my kids arrive safely. The safe arrival is our hope. The third one is we use hope as the reason for something to come to pass. And we will say, our only hope of a safe trip is the new tires I bought. Okay? We, we do that. You with me? Okay? So, so there's three ways we use hope. A future desire, the future things we desire, the reason our desire may be satisfied. And the Bible uses hope in those three ways as well. However, there is a biblical hope that is much more important for us to grasp. Biblical hope is very different than those three. Biblical hope expresses, and we should think this way, expresses certainty. Certainty that a future event will happen. So when I say, I hope Jesus comes back, I'm not saying, you know, that there could be something else that happens. Uh-uh, uh-uh, I can't go there and, and still maintain a proper view theologically. When I say, I hope Jesus comes back, what I'm saying is, he's coming back. That's my hope. It's a certainty. When, when believers hope for Christ to return, they fully expect it to happen. There is a desire, but that desire rests upon the certainty that a future event will happen. That's the hope that, that we need to be consumed with. Before Jesus came, the the people of God expected the Messiah to come. This was the kind of expectation they had. Abraham had this kind of hope. This is the the hope. This is what they, they knew God had promised. They knew that he had promised the Savior. And they were confident in that promise that it would come to pass. This is what we find in the... First chapter in the 11th chapter of Hebrews, it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Assurance. 
the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the men of old gained approval. The assurance of things hoped for. There is confidence and assurance and expectation of things to come. This hope that we talk about is absolute perfect truth. The truth of Christmas, the hope of believers, is a hope that rests securely upon the rock of Jesus Christ. Romans 9.33 Just as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. You will not be disappointed if you believe in Jesus. It is an absolute fact that he did what he did and that he's coming back. He is who he says he is. This hope is the foundation. And, and then that foundation is actually Jesus, the gift. 1 Peter 2.6. That was the cue for the musicians. That's why I'm looking around. This hope is the foundation of Jesus. 1 Peter chapter 2. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him shall not be disappointed. That's our hope. This hope is the eternal bedrock of the Son of God and His sacrifice. That's what the, the shepherds came to see. That's the gift that was in the, in the manger, wrapped in cloth. That's our hope. That's our hope today. That will be our hope tomorrow. That will be our hope until Jesus comes back and takes us home. Christmas hope is built on this eternally God-designed solid truth of Jesus and the eternal future He provides for those who obediently choose to follow Him. This gift, this hope, is why the heavenly multitudes celebrated. The hope of every believer is built on nothing but the solid, unchanging foundation of Jesus, the precious gift of Christmas. Father, thank you that you've given us a foundation that is so solid we cannot fail when we're in you. Father, thank you that we have a, a permanent and great and awesome future with you. Thank you that we can come to you with all of our hearts and concerns and find hope Hope that is secure and solid, resting upon what you sent this gift to do. Thank you, Father, for Jesus. Thank you for this time of year that we celebrate your perfect gift of hope. In Christ's name, amen.